This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. It's inside. Mm -hmm. And those invisible wounds are almost just... I don't, I'm trying to say this correctly, almost just as bad because that's what's, that's what's hurting a lot of us is those, the inside part, the, the, the feelings, that the things that you can't yep. get out, you know, that we hold on for so long. And that's, unfortunately, that's some of the reasons why there's the increase in the suicide rates because there's a stigma out there and we're afraid to say anything. Dory one, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to episode 64 of the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Wow. From Friday when I talked to you last to today, what a rush. Was at PodFest this past weekend in Orlando. Amazing community of other podcasters. It's such an amazing thing when you go to this central hub of the podcasting tool and understand what amazing conversations are having on the internet through podcasting and how many voices are out there changing the world. And today's episode resonates a lot with the idea of what podcasting brings to the universe. So podcasting brings the ability for someone to take their story, to take their mess to the airwaves and help someone else get through it. That's one of the most popular things that podcasting is out there done. And then this community, PodFest, brings that together in a beautiful way. And today's guest, Annette Wittenberger, brings a conversation that talks exactly to this point, that we need to talk about that pain that you can't feel or you can't see. Not sorry, you can feel it. You can't see it. You can't measure it. It doesn't weigh anything. But that scar, that emotional scar that that left is something that you just have to acknowledge. And podcasting has been a beautiful tool for other people, men and women, to acknowledge those scars and be able to take those to the airwaves. There was a brilliant quote that I said I heard out there, and it was said that share the wounds, or sorry, share the scars, not the wounds. And essentially, when you have the scar left over from your wound, that's when you're ready to share. When it's still tender, when it still hurts, that's not the right time to share. And so what Annette helps people do is takes those scars and help tells the story to themselves, because oftentimes we can't really feel we can't really tell what those scars are doing to us until we start helping understand what they are and what they are doing for us and how they're shaping our behavior. So today's guest just brings it and it was a brilliant conversation about the power of vulnerability and how you have to be vulnerable in order to really move your life forward if you have something heavy on your heart that you hold in. 
those invisible wounds are something that we need to acknowledge as veterans, as military dads, because they are the one thing that's preventing us from coming back to our families emotionally because you can't feel what your kids feel until you have felt what you need to feel. So with that, let's get started with today's guest with Annette Wittenberger. Welcome to the show, Annette. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad you're here. Our friendship is just getting started. For listeners out there who don't know you, go ahead and explain a little bit about what you are and what your um, what your goal in life is. So I am a retired vet. I retired three years ago from the Army. And my goal in life is to continue to help people through their mental illness and overcoming trauma. And what, how did you, because lots of people like go through this process. What is your process to find out like really what my superpower is, is going into people's dark areas and bringing a flashlight and shining it. How'd you figure that out? Once I started to share my story and I started talking to other people, they started to connect with me more because I just, I said the magic words of I'm not okay. And for them, that was like, oh, I'm, I'm not okay either. So, and then we just started digging into it. And the more I did that, the more people just reached out because I became vulnerable and I created that space to where it was okay to talk about it. You mean you didn't explode? <laughs> oh, I had those. I, I did. I had <laughs> explode Because usually times. most people, when they talk about vulnerability, they often think like this idea that they would just poof. That like explode like a cartoon, and that, After, that, that's like how you—that's the end of your life—is when you start talking about how you really feel. After I after I exploded, and I started to realize that I wasn't the only one feeling that way, then it started to become a little bit calmer. Mm-hmm. You find that once you—I just did a solo episode on how heavy is a glass of water. And a glass of water isn't heavy by itself, but if you hold it out from your body for a long period of time, the longer you hold it, the heavier it gets. And that's a lot of what kind of PTSD and trauma is. You really are holding this glass of water in your hand to the point that the only way you can survive is by your brain becoming numb to that feeling of holding a glass of water. But at the same time, you become numb to everything around you, including your family, your life, and you just become a walking zombie. That's an... Great analogy, and that's so true. You do. You become numb, because mm-hmm. you, and you hold it in for so long. And I think with as a family, that that's where the barrier comes. Like, to think that you don't feel safe being a dad emotionally because your brain says, I'm doing everything I can to hold this glass of water up. If you dare touch the screaming child, I'm going to drop the glass. Yes. <laughs> I've seen that with my husband, although he does not think that he has any PTSD, any glasses of, yeah. any glasses of water yeah. um he feels like he needs to be the tough one the strong one but because i deal with my own issues i see little signs of it but no he won't admit it he, i use the analogy especially as from a dad perspective is that the first frozen almost took the case of ptsd perfectly because she had a gift that she held on to herself and she held it in and it was just, and honestly, it scared her holding it in. Like she was fearful of letting this power out. But then when she did, it became something beautiful like the ice castle. 
And then she felt free by once letting it go. And that's the song, let it go. And that's how you, you can create something beautiful from something that scares you. And at the end, the best part is love is the way that actually makes what she feels scared of even under control. I love that. I've never finished watching that movie. Oh, man. <laughs> <I'm> gonna... <laughs> Every time I watch it, I fell asleep. I'm going to have to go back and watch it because I love how you describe all of that. That's, that's really You'll never funny. watch it the same again. I am I a little bit crazy like that, though. I always see... We were watching Mary Poppins today, and I had the similar... I've seen Mary Poppins probably a thousand times. It's one of my favorite Disney movies, but I don't think I really knew why until I seen the movie Saving Mr. Banks, because I never really got the real reason of Mary Poppins. And then I never can watch it the same again. And the more dads I talk to, the more dads I see as Mr. Banks, that there's just this layer that as long as I'm the provider and seeking to be dominant in my life, then somehow that's enough to be dad. And at the end where he wakes up and comes home in Mary Poppins and realizes that it's time to go fly a kite and supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, all of that is like that emotional ability of letting go. He was holding on to a glass of water that he had to keep providing, but he didn't realize the barrier that he was putting around himself. Oh my gosh. That's really good. I'm never going to be able to say <laughs> I'm going to do a solo episode on uh, Mr. Uh, Saving Mr. Banks because there, that, that he is essentially the military dad. There's a barrier. He believes someone else is going to raise his kids. He believes there's only one role to provide. He believes that he can sacrifice work for family and that you're, when your kids want your attention, that that's something that you can be annoyed with and that's okay. And it, you can control the people around you. It, that, that's not what a military dad or any dad is like. And there's a hidden meaning that's, I mean, think of how long Mary Poppins has been around. And it's really probably only now that the, the gift of fatherhood from that movie is starting to be received. And dad's kind of, especially with Kobe Bryant passing away recently, like fatherhood is really kind of taking a new rift in a positive way. Like Kobe kind of gave humanity one last gift and reminder that family is the most important thing you have. It's not the trophies or the championships. It was his family. And him being a star that he was, that's what he's being remembered for most, not necessarily being a great basketball player. You're so right. And that's so true. It's, it's unfortunate that a loss opens up your eyes to things like that, but it's, it's true. It happens. So how many um, kids do you have? If you have any, I have, I have two. How old are they? 17 year old boy. as uh, a junior, uh, junior high school and a 19 year old girl, a sophomore in college. Awesome. So as you've dived into this PTSD and trauma, what are some of the things that first surprised you when you first started diving into it? Now, this is only for your own reflection, but like once you really got into thick of like trying to figure out what makes PTSD and trauma victims tick and what their thought patterns are. I think I started to realize why I had so much rage and why I was hiding things for so long is because I was afraid. And I've seen this with other people. We're afraid of being judged because a lot of people assume that a disability is physical only. They don't realize that it's your invisible wounds. And so that's talking, the more people I talk to, the more they're like, I just, 
I don't want to hear it. I don't want people to look, people already judging me. They're looking at me, think, assuming that, you know, I don't, because I don't have a cane or I'm not limping or I didn't lose a limb. There's nothing wrong with me. They don't realize that it's inside. Mm-hmm. And those invisible wounds are almost just, I, I don't, I'm trying to say this correctly, almost just as bad because that's what's, that's what's hurting a lot of us is, those the inside part that the, the feelings that the things that you can't yep. get out you know that we hold on for so long and that's unfortunately that's some of the reasons why there's the increase in the suicide rates because there's a stigma out there and we're afraid to say anything i saw probably the most devastating statistic that i have seen to date um that in starting this podcast that there in the last like i think it was like 10 years maybe 15 at most there have been more veterans that killed themselves than died in Vietnam. Yes. Yes. And, and I was like, Oh wow. What a, what a heavy statistic to even begin to fathom. And it, there's just a, a burden that veterans are, are carrying. And there's another statistic was kind of the same article. I remember it was 10% of people in world war two of the American population served in Vietnam. It was like four. And now it's down to like 0.4. So there is a burden of freedom that 0.4 of the people are carrying. And there's an entire wave of population that doesn't even really acknowledge that burden or that, um, that choice or just the heaviness that military families have to carry. And I think this is, I was even just thinking, I've done a lot of blog posts and topics on, it's difficult when someone thanks a veteran for their service. I don't know where it is for you, but it, it elevates us to a higher plateau that people look up to us. But if we internally feel down and are, view others higher than us, it almost creates this internal conflict. Like it's, it's almost like that question creates the barrier that I can't expose what I really feel because people look up to me. And every time someone gets thanked, you're really elevating someone that and creating and almost creating a persona that they have to live up to because of how you thank them and that you owe them something when really they can barely internalize and feel what it is that happened, let alone try to understand what it is to be thanked for something they did that they often don't even feel thankful for themselves. Yeah, no, you're right about that. I, um, I had someone thank me yesterday. It was a young girl. I, I went to get takeout, a young girl who asked me, are you military? And I said, yes. And she shook my hand. And for me, it was like, um, I'm always shocked and I always get emotional and I don't, I don't know why. And I think it might have some, something to do with the points that you just brought up. It's just our own feelings that we internalize. And for someone to thank me for that, it's almost like, well, that, you know, I don't, I really don't want to be thanked. That was just. Or if you lost a friend, like there's nothing that someone feels thankful for about like that. They have a scar in their heart that every time you're thanked almost, that scar becomes tender. Right. It's so hard, but I mean, I appreciate it, but it's hard. It's hard to hear yeah. that. There was an, an article I wrote for Veterans Day, and it was in my idea, but I was repeating it to help get the idea out, that often what veterans need is actually just that a signal to mentally come home. So instead of thanking for us or for our service, I always tell as many people that thank me for my service, I always tell them like, you want a better way to honor a veteran, like tell them welcome home because that is the one thing we're not expecting. And two, they might not have heard it depending even if going back to Vietnam and 
that triggering to come home could really be like, why would someone say that? And then be like, that could actually trigger the process of maybe I've never actually come home. Because a lot of times you become so numb to your feelings, you don't actually realize where your conscious is or where your presence is. But if you get told to come home, that just kind of makes your brain question. And your brain can't help but answer a question that you've been asked. And no matter how good or bad the question is, if it's a bad question, it'll find an answer. So if you get asked this question, come home, like, why would someone ask me that? You can quickly figure out, like, I think I maybe I never come home. Like, that can actually trigger a positive transition for someone. That's a good one. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it, welcome it, home is nice. And it's, it's different, but that's often like, and it also triggers, um, like veterans walk around so lonely. Like that's what I've figured out. Like I walked around for 12 years without really any friends. And the, the one thing, even with this podcast, I don't really have any products yet, but overall, I always say the best only product I offer is friendship. And it's, I'm, I'm the friend I wish I had five years ago for others, Mm -hmm. because honestly, what friends, veterans need most is friendships. And when you trigger someone to come home, friendships is kind of like that way for them to feel safe. And if you make someone feel safe, they might actually share something that they're feeling. And if you can get that off their chest, they can begin to breathe again. Yes. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I like that. So when you've done dove into PTSD, what are some of the things that like are the first, some of the similar warning signs? Cause let's face it, dads, we suck at facing inward on ourselves. There was actually a, I'm a big Einstein guy and he always theorized that you could actually time travel if you could bend light back in on itself and reach the same point, but you can't bend light back in on the same point. And I often feel I've, I've used that in coaching. Like there's a reason why there's a billion dollar coaching industry because you can't reflect the light of your own energy back at yourself to see where your own blind spots are. And if you could, then you wouldn't need to coach, but you need someone to reflect back and, I think that's what people miss about. So what are some of the things that you kind of the early indicators that are very quickly for you to identify that maybe someone out there is hitting or not dealing with their PTSD? Well, definitely be withdrawing from any activity. I have um, a couple friends who are people that I know that, um, they start to withdraw. They start to, not leave their house. They start to say things like, I'm tired of being alone. Um, I, you know, just certain things that they say. And and I can tell that this was not the right path to go on because I was there. And I, I guess even with my own kids, once I start, start to see them be really quiet and just anything triggers them and they get agitated and they get angry and, they lash out. It's those are little signs that they're holding on to something and they don't know how to let it out. What are some of the fastest ways that you've been able to kind of peel back the onion or like, what are, what are some of the most effective ways that uh, reach to the core of what people are dealing with that maybe through time tested trials of you working with people that you've discovered? Well, once I start to open up, that I have been there. I've noticed that they're like, yeah, doesn't it suck? And, you know, I don't know how to deal with this. And then I'll, I'll start just telling them my own story and I'll tell a complete stranger. I did this last night, a complete stranger. She's struggling so bad 
And I started to just open up to her and tell her, yeah, I, I, I was there. I, I took the pills too. I, I understand how it feels. And they just seemed to, they wanted, they want, they connected because they were going through that same thing. And it's hard for people because sometimes they don't want to go talk to a therapist because I don't think that the therapist is going to understand. I'm not saying that seeing a therapist is a bad thing because it's not because I see one, but I think sometimes it's hard to connect with the therapist. They need to talk to somebody else who's been there on the same, at the same level that they are. And so that's, that's where I think it's helped the most is when I just open up and tell them, I won't sit there and try to say it's going to be okay because you know what? We don't want to hear that it's going to be okay. We just, sometimes we just need someone to hear us Mm -hmm. and, and just say, you know, and, and know that we've experienced the same thing. That's just what I've noticed with. I love that. And I've talked about it uh, quite a bit on the podcast, but that it's almost like when you have something heavy on your heart, like, and for me, I'm an overthinker to the hundredth degree. And if I just feel isolated, if I feel like I'm just not feeling something, I'll feel like I'm surrounded by fog. And that fog essentially is like that thing that almost holds back like all action. Like you're just, it puts you in a paralysis of fear. And what vulnerability does is there's someone that's already walked the path that you can't see. And by them sharing their story, you've, you give other people permission to feel often what they're not even acknowledging they need to feel, give words to feel what they need to feel. But then as you, if you hold your hand out, you can literally walk them on the path that they need to walk. And a lot of times, like a therapist will try to, it's almost like a, if a veteran is standing on an island and the therapist is on the sea or on the shore, a therapist is like trying to yell to the veteran, just start swimming towards me. We'll eventually get connected together and I'll make it better. But if you really can't have someone to hold their hand to say like, we're going to jump in the water together and we're going to start swimming to the shore. It's sometimes it's almost paralysis that we, we can't take that action because our brain is wired for survival. And somehow in 2020, the idea of sharing something is almost similar to being attacked by a bear. Like I think our brain recognizes them almost dissimilarly. Like your brain, and it's reinforced by society's horrible, horrible view of vulnerability or even just not having the perfect world on Facebook. Um, but that there's so much power that comes from vulnerabilities. And then you probably find this as well. Like once you start having the vulnerability muscle really strong, Sometimes it's on you don't even realize it. Like I say things and I'm sure you say it as well. And you don't consider this like this is probably like a level two on your level of vulnerability. And someone's just like, oh, my God. Do you find that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where you've just done it so many times, you don't even know when the superpower is on. And it's like, oh, wow, that wasn't that wasn't even my best foot forward. <laughs> so true. And it, it's just crazy how all that... Um, that works out. Let's maybe pivot to another position as a, as a spouse. What are some of the best? Cause this is the part where we have a lot of women listeners and they're oftentimes the military spouse is married to the husband that didn't come home. And they're listening to this to try to help figure out what's going on in his mind. What are some of the things that they can do? Because I just recorded an episode a week ago and his wife actually found her husband hanging in a tree with an electric cord around him. And luckily they got him down fast enough and he was like unconscious for like 12 days in a coma, but he came out completely normal on the other side, but almost to the end where he wasn't dealing with what he needed to. 
what are some of the things that you recommend military spouses do as some of the best measures to be supportive, but not judge, but at the same time, continue to love? Because I think that's something that it's easily removed when someone is fighting PTSD. Like that's the first thing that gets pulled away. But often that's like in Frozen, that's the one thing that saves Elsa is love in the end. And that's the one thing that she pulled away immediately. She pushed her sister away, which was all about love. Wow. I really need to see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you probably wouldn't have got it, but my brain just can't help but analyze these things. As a no, dad, I, I love- watched it a thousand times. So I and love it. These interviews, I- it just kind of mer- merges together in my head. <laughs> No, I love it. I don't get to watch the Zoom movies anymore. My kids or my son's like, really? Um, I, uh, so seeing what I put my, my husband through um, and what I've, what, this is hard. He really put up with a lot, you know, when, with everything that I, I, I went through. And I think his patience and him just listening, he didn't understand because I, I, he doesn't, he didn't understand. And so I got mad and I, you know, I wouldn't tell him anything, but he, he, he had a lot of patience and he gave me space and he just listened when I was ready to talk and he didn't try to grab for answers all the time, questioning me and digging it. He, uh, he did in the beginning and he learned that that wasn't going to work. So he backed off <laughs> and he's like, okay, I, it's apparent that you're not ready to talk about it. So I'm just going to let you be. And I think over the years, that's what's helped. When I was ready, I was ready, but he just stood back and he just gave me space. And I think it's different though. Well, cause we were both doing military at, at one point, but just being a man and, and a father, I think that's what worked is, and a caregiver, he didn't even realize that he was, um, that was the best, that was the best method for us was he gave me space and he was patient and he just listened. And I think now that's what's important is to not make another man who's trying to be strong, feel like he's weak, just be there just listen and just be patient and keep loving and keep doing what you do because it's going to be hard for them to open up. But when they're ready, they're ready. Um, and I, yeah, that's, I think that's the best advice I could give. Right is now. there any counseling you would give to military spouses where the husband is the one that has the PTSD that they're just like for the, the wives out there that are just struggling. And I think it's often because the, the feminine energy is emotional. It's about feeling. It's about flow. And nothing about PTSD has flow. It's literally about a dam. And so that feminine energy doesn't really work in that case because it, the dam isn't flowing and men need to have masculine and feminine energy to be able to be fully um, functioning um, males. And if we only have that masculine side on of just not feeling it, then it's just this conundrum. So what, what counseling have you given to wives that are trying to go through this where their husband is either acknowledging it or not acknowledging it? The same thing. I, I did have, I've had a few spouses come up to me just in tears because they don't know what to do. And, and, and we've had that conversation of just, it's, it's hard, but you need to be patient because it's hard for them to talk about it. And I also recommend doing their own form of counseling to 
be able to have someone to reach out to if they don't want to reach out to me per se, or, you know, just so they have someone to talk to, because sometimes talking to another friend, it's not the same. Sometimes you need more. And so that's what I tell them is, you know, it's just don't lose yourself because sometimes we just, we end up losing ourselves in the whole process to where we have no identity and we just, we just live each day, day to day. So mm-hmm. I think as long, you know, we have to just keep our own identity and, and realize that, you know, it, it is, I want to say it is going to get better, but every situation is different. Um, so I think sometimes it, people have to acknowledge that they may not be at bottom. Yeah. I I think we just can't push a person. You just can't mm-hmm. because it's, it it's, feeling that pressure and then them feeling that they're being judged. is just not, not a good place for us to be in. Mm -hmm. I think what you're also talking about, which is something I talk about too much, but I never can talk about enough about this topic that for 100,000 years, men and women did life in tribes that I've actually been. So I've had a couple of guests on that we've dove into masculine energy and feminine energy and all these different things about marriage and what marriage can handle and what marriage can't. There, this particular topic of like trying to understand your your husband and your husband trying to understand you, or maybe even from a psychological point of view, the the to me the function of marriage, the construct of marriage, isn't capable of handling that. And we try to handle it because oftentimes there isn't any construct in our life to handle it. So we try to use marriage as a way to solve this, or we get upset with each other because we're not focused on trying to work through this, but this is where a tribe comes in. Like women would have 50 other women to talk to and they would have 50 other women at different age groups to say, Oh yeah, 10 years ago, my husband did the same thing. Right. That, and husbands would have the same thing that there are things that go on in a man's head that the construct of marriage is not designed to handle that insecurities about yourself as a man are not something that your your marriage is designed to, to hold into. These are things that other men can help bear the weight of, and then help relift you back up. And I often there's a good Marine Corps analogy here that in the Marine Corps the back was the first thing they abused. So if you didn't have if you couldn't lift something, that didn't mean you needed a fork truck like the Air Force. That means you just needed more Marines to lift it. And I've really transitioned that to life here that your life will give you more than you can handle. And both women and females are male side. And if you can't lift what you're carrying, that just means you need more people to lift it with you. That there are just certain things that are more greater than one person can carry on their heart and their shoulders. But this is where we really suck. Because as you transition out, you realize you were a tribe, but you never truly appreciated the magic of what was happening. And even though in the military, it's not like we're super vulnerable, you do, but you don't feel alone. You feel almost an instant connection that you're not alone. Um, you're all in it together type feeling. But on the other side, you don't realize what you had, so then you don't worry about recreating it, and then you get isolated. And then once you're isolated, every thought is possible, including one that says your family's better without you. Mm-hmm. Every thought can be that one that grows and becomes true. Right. So as we go through here, let's maybe dive into a different area for showing up as a mom in your kids. So this is something that I've talked about as well, where... PTSD and trauma, like all of these things are really heavy. All of these things are hard to process. But I often find that we, what, it's super difficult and 
easy to say, but hard to do, but it's something noble to worth going, that we always need to have faith that life is always happening for us. So what, based on what's happened with you, how have you showed up as a mom stronger because of what's happened to you that then you can able to turn around and make it happen for you as a mom? So because my, my kids saw my, my dark days, um, and my daughter actually told me that, you know, she just didn't know how to handle me anymore. I think those little things right there were like, I need to wake up. I need to, and my kids are seeing it because we, sometimes we think that they don't notice or they don't see it, but they really do. So as my kids got older, and they were going through their own struggles of just being a teenager in high school and all that, I learned to, or I knew I had to talk to them about it, especially nowadays with these poor kids committing suicide. I had to just be real and honest with my kids and tell them, you know, I I struggle, but I get back up and it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to show feelings, especially with my son. You know, it's okay to get angry, but you have to learn how to get back up again and and start over the next day. You know, we had to learn, you know, just breathing techniques, just Mm -hmm. calm down. It's not the end of the world. It's going to be okay. And so I, I just realized I needed to be present and how important it was for them. And so that's what my focus is on now because I, I'm better I still have days, but I'm better. And I think that it's just so important now, just raising your kids to, and teaching them that it's okay to have bad days, but Mm -hmm. you need to appreciate, you know, what we have and the little things and all this stuff. So, um, if your kids were younger, there's a great children's book called someday a bird will poop on you. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and it talks about like at any given moment, no matter how good of a day you're having, someday there's a bird somewhere in the world that someone just gets pooped on. And they have a choice once they get pooped on. They can either react positively to it and brush it off and just let you go. Or they can let that entire bird poop moment bring them down for the rest of the day. It's a choice. And we, I used to, when my daughter was like six, we used to call it bird poop talk. We talk about all the people that pooped on during the day and how she handled it, and what she could do differently, and how she could respond differently. But it's a choice. Like Every time your kids are getting pooped on at school, on the shoulder by a bird, there's a choice they have to make. And consciously as a parent, and you, and the best part of like when you have a trauma or a PTSD, if there's the best part of it, the best part is you just experience an assimilated exponential growth period. Like You are more wise in one particular area of life than most people are their entire life. And that just makes you a sharper tool to help raise your kids and to deal with bird poop type stuff because you know how to react. You know maybe even a raw moment that they need to be that you can show up even stronger for because or or only just like let them know that like this is something where vulnerability gets messed up as well. Parents don't share their stories of their life with their kids. Like we are the best book that your kids can read because we have already gone through it and your stories about adventure and life and death and friendship and losing friends and feelings of loss. Like these are things that we can gift our kids, which is why I'm always passionate about military fathers so much. It's because we leave so much on the table. Like we have a life lived that only less 1% of the population even comes close to that depth can create amazing kids and amazing adults. Yeah, no, you're right. I, 
when I was growing up, I was always told, oh, we'll tell you when you're older. We'll tell you when you get <laughs> yeah. older. See, and you can only do that so much. And now I think, especially nowadays, the way that the world is, you you have to learn how to be able to communicate with your kids. You can't keep telling them, I'll tell you when they're older. You need to find a way to tell. They, they got to know because they're, they're learning it at school or they're learning it on TV or whatever. And that's not where you want them to learn about all the ugly that outside in the world you have to learn how to explain it and that book is awesome I wish I had that I think adults need to read that book too because <laughs> it's so true it's so true so when my son gets angry I said okay why are you mad and is it going to solve anything uh, and yeah. you being mad right now about that going to solve anything okay no so how are we going to make it better and I wasn't in that place you know three years ago I would just I would be raging but now you know I'm able to do that so I just and I think it's important that we all do that with our kids, no matter what age they are. The other good question that I always like is because a lot of times, especially my oldest daughter is in second grade and named calling is rampant everywhere, even from her brother all the time. And I'll often tell her, I'll be like, do you believe it to be true? What he was just said? And she's like, no, I'm like, well, your opinion of yourself is the only one that matters that what other people say about you positively or negative does not determine how you feel about yourself. Because you need to have that safe space between what other people say about you and how you feel about yourself. And because if you don't have that, and this is something that I'm terrified to raise my daughter in the next world, but I know as long as I keep trying, I'll be okay. But like people's worth comes from how many Instagram followers they have these days, especially oh girls, that yes. they, if they, they can't do something without getting permission first. Like you don't need external validation to love yourself. And right. as a daughter and a, a woman growing up in the future of the world, like that's going to be the biggest thing that they need to have is they just need to be able to love themselves more than the world around them. Yes. Because right now yes. there's so much external feeling that women go out into the world and grow up to be that they bring into their life or try to either through early teen pregnancy, like all of these things are, they're just dying to feel loved. Yes. And it's often because they just weren't validated that they could love themselves in the beginning. You're so right. You are. My, my daughter only has Instagram and I'm and Snapchat. And, you know, I just have to have her talks with her, but I. TikTok's yeah. the one you got to worry about that one. Yes, I've been that on that too. one. That one's horrible. <laughs> that one's terrible. atrocious. I felt bad just for looking at it for 10 seconds. <laughs> it is, you know, and I can only say so much to her and hope she makes the right choices, but we had to, we had to, you know, reaffirm that she's a beautiful person and she doesn't need anyone else to love her, but she needs to love herself. And so it's hard because that 19, 20 year old being away at college and, you know, we just, it's so hard. It is. And all these Instagram followers, I'm thankful she's not watching those numbers, but there's other, even adults, they watch yeah. those numbers. And so yeah. it's terrible. Mm -hmm. And there's so much just like, when you think about what what they're going through, all of that, like they just need to know that they're enough. And I mean, it's okay to be on Instagram. It's okay to do all these things, right. but it you need to. It needs to be. Um, I, I've kind of used this in marriage some as well. You need to be able to unconditionally love yourself so that you can unconditionally love others. And if right. you enter the world as an adult with that out of whack, almost every relationship you enter is going to be off balance, and eventually it's going to run its course and usually end. Right, and that's where like marriages kind of get codependency because one person can't coexist without the other person feeling loved by them, and 
Right. Like I often kind of describe, um, it's hard to get to, but my mind is like kind of like the Shangri-La of marriage where marriage is kind of just a gravy of your life. It's not the meat and potatoes. You are already mm-hmm. the meat and potatoes. Gravy just, mm-hmm. the marriage just enhances the quality because you get to share this awesome person you are with this awesome other person and everything just gets better instead of like trying to make up for someone else's um, misfortunes or lacking in certain areas. Like those types of equations always, they work in many cases, but the being able to know that you're whole, even if you're not whole, like, um, loving yourself for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like even in your right. case, the, all of that is something you have to learn to love. And it goes about like hap- having life happen to you instead of, or happening for you instead of to you. Very true. Yes. So when you've gone through this, what are some of the things that you're doing today to help com- to help other uh, victims of PTSD or not victims, but people suffering from t- PTSD and victims of trauma as well? So I started writing a few years ago just to, it was some, it was a way for me to keep my sanity. I um, turned that into a blog. So I have a blog, a website, and I decided to share it with the world. I think it was just my own self-healing journey and I was terrified, but I wanted to show other people that they weren't alone. And then, um, then I started a podcast uh, called The Truths We Hide. And that formed from me hiding my own, my own insecurities, my own struggles, but now being able to share it and then, you know, giving advice on how I overcame it. But it's not just me. It's several people that come on there and share their stories and, and talk about how they overcome it. I actually just realized I never let you share your story. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> well, go ahead and share it with us. So that way we get the full full side of the the, the 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 net that we have today on the other side of recovery, but the one where it began, where your story. Um, Unless you're going to no, lose I, it on us, which is okay <laughs> as well. People have cried in the podcast before, including me. <laughs> no, I, I my, um, my whole story started from when I was a child, but I really, I really started to notice it when I was in the military. And, you know, I was assaulted a couple times and I, um, just continue to drive on like soldiers do. And I never said anything because I was afraid that I was going to lose my clearance or I was going to be seen as weak. And so I just kept going and then, um, you know, going deploying as a mom and, and then losing, we lost over 30 soldiers, my second deployment and all those things just, you know, we just, I just kept it inside. And then when I retired, that's when it all came out. And so I, I exploded. Um, I had suicidal thoughts and ideations and I was just really at a low point. And so that's when I decided to write and I started to talk to other soldiers that, um, I had under my command years before, and they were telling me that they had struggled too with the transition. And so I, that's where I realized that I wasn't alone and I needed to do something about it. And so um, that's how I decided to, to start the, the blog. And I just went with it. I was like, well, I don't want to be ashamed anymore because I think that was part of the problem was that I felt ashamed. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I had more to live for. Um, I mean, I had my kids just looking at me as a role model and I couldn't have them see that part of me. So that's, that's how it started. And it's so three years later, I'm still doing it. And 
I'm more open now than I ever was in my life because I used to be shy and quiet. And um, so I, I'm happier because I have decided to just tell it. Because emotions flow through you instead of just stopping. Yeah, I just, I mean, I'll cry every now and then because it's just like a release. Like, oh my gosh, I can say something about it. Now, it, I tell, I do tell people it didn't happen overnight. It took me years to get to this point, years. Yeah. And it's not easy, but... Um, I like what you said about the writing there because I, I found writing very th- therapeutic and I often would find I was the first person that would benefit from a blog post that I wrote and... I think sometimes when you're in those lonely places, for me being an overthinker, there is like 200 pieces of advice I'm running through scenarios. My brain's like Google. It's just running through scenarios of what it could spit out for an answer. And I would struggle to know, how do I know which right answer? But then as I was writing, I would almost conclusively always come to the conclusion of like, whatever I wrote was the advice I needed to hear. That version somehow was the one that flew out my hands. And when I was reading it back, I'm like, damn, I should really take my own advice here. But it was only one version of that 100, and it was always what I needed to hear. And the other part that's, um, I'm sure on this side of where you were at, like it's a muscle. When you start exercising that and make the, the pipe and the diameter of the pipe that flows to that emotion stronger with by writing, it flows freely. And I can almost write without really hesitation. I can put out some really great content just from, because it's been a muscle that I've, I've invested in. Do you know the podcaster John Lee Dumas? He's a really famous podcaster. He kind of caught it right the wave in 2010, and he runs an entrepreneur podcast. He's an army officer. He actually lives in Puerto Rico now. Um, He's made it in podcasting by all accounts. But he came back from uh, Iraq, and he lost like six soldiers, and he was at Dover Air Force Base. And he put his hand on their coffin, and he declared that he was going to create a life worthy of the sacrifice and the gift of living that they gave him. And he's measured his life every minute by that commitment. And by now, I mean, he's at the top of the game. He's hanging out with Tony Robbins on his private island. But every time he's let go of something and leveled up, it was because he wasn't living up to that gift of living. And that's often where veterans get messed up, where we think it's a burden that we walk around with. In reality, it's a gift of living. And if we don't frame it that way, we don't measure our choices. We don't make big choices. We don't make big goals. We don't take big action to create that life and to almost live the lives of the people that didn't get to keep going. Like that's our role. That's how you best serve those memories. That's how you free yourself of that burden because you can make a dent in this universe in memory of someone that no longer got to be here. That's a something that military members are perfectly set up to do every time it doesn't even matter. I didn't even have PTSD and I can frame this podcast as a way that this is how I serve other veterans and other brothers and sisters that didn't come home. This is how I create a legacy of keeping the ones here to create them to be better dads so that they can create better adults. And those adults will go out and change the world. Right. No, you're so right. It is. I think after losing people, you realize that you need to appreciate the little things and you need to be a, you know, continue to be a better person and a better parent and, and teach your kids to be good people. And just, yeah. There was a Navy SEAL I interviewed in November and he actually got, he was, he lost a friend and he pretty much got 
out of Afghanistan super quick because he was escorting the body back to Dover. And it was kind of this horrible transition because you go from war to peacetime and you got no decompression. You weren't expecting it. Your brothers are still over there. And it was on the other side of that. His daughter came up to him and said, like, Daddy, you've been on your phone for a while. Can you play with me? And I was kind of joking. I was like, you ever wonder if that was the guy that didn't come home? Like tapping on his shoulder, like, dude, you're still here. And he really got goosebumps and got really emotional when I did that. But like, that's kind of like the frame that you need to be in. Like sometimes like there's someone out there that doesn't get to feel that father's love and you do. And oftentimes, and it's hard for I me, mean, it's hard. The 2020 is extremely difficult to try to always be present, but that's the goal because presence creates memories and memories will create uh, just a, a depth to a child that then allows them to go out and understand how they fit into the world. You're so right. And that's the hardest part, I think, when, especially when you have tragedy behind you in your service, is you have to switch from your legacy of your service to your legacy of your family. Because that's really the best way to serve everything that happened to you, to make it happen for you. Because everything that happened in your military is some wrench that your kids will need in their life, and you need to be ready there to use it when they need it. Never thought of it like that. It's, um, yeah, that really hits me. <laughs> sorry (laughs) no no it's uh i think um people need to hear that yeah and that's been my main i wasn't expecting to find legacy when i started this but um a gift a guest gifted me this uh kirby ingles and ever since then i've i started peeling back and asking these legacy questions and then by like September, I was like, legacy is this big, massive word that's not even talked about. And then by this year, I actually incorporated it in my logo because it needs to be a reminder that the only legacy we leave beyond our, our time on this earth is our legacy of our family. And our, there was an article that I think you might enjoy on my website, um, When is a Veteran Forgotten? And it was based on another Disney movie, Coco. So Coco was based on the Day of the Dead. And the Day of the Dead is celebrated by remembering the people that went beyond or no longer here with you, their picture, their memories, their stories. And as long as you create a life that people keep talking about you, you're never forgotten. And your family is the best vehicle to make sure that you're, only for, you're never forgotten. And, and that's where you can really create a life that your name keeps on going. Two movies for you to watch, Frozen and Coco. I've seen Coco, <laughs> and I love that movie. <laughs> well, now you can think about veterans and legacy, and like you're only ever forgotten if people stop talking about you. That is so true, and that's I do. I, I want to create a legacy, and I want my kids to be able to look back and say, you know, mom had it rough, but she came back and she helped other people through it. So that's yeah, that's exactly what. And the part that you're diving into with words, this is the most beautiful part about words. If you think about, I was recently in DC and you go to visit the Lincoln Memorial and at the Lincoln Memorial, the Gettysburg address, and there's like one other there that's there. Um, those words were said almost 200 years ago. And those, and no, it's not 200 years, maybe like 180. Um, but nevertheless, those words are still transcended in time, but they were just words, but they freed an entire population from something that most people didn't actually see it way through. And this is what I love when you exercise the muscle of words. You can move up someone's mountains just with a few perfectly crafted words. 
but you have to put in the reps. You got to put in the emotions through them. And the mo- more you can get going through them, the more mountains you can move. And that's what I love about your gift that you give other people is when you help people understand the words to feelings that they don't know, that's a gift that is very du- rarely duplicated in value because that allows someone to move through what they were originally standing still for. I love that. That's amazing. So, and I've, I've really loved this interview because we don't really, we've never really parked in PTSD with someone that's kind of studied it and kind of sat in it and really tried to look at all the different angles. So if people want to dive in and follow your blog, where's the best place to follow what you're doing? You can go to a wild ride called life.com. Awesome. And what's your Instagram handles or socials, if you have any? It's the same. They're all the same. A wild ride called life on Instagram, same on Pinterest and YouTube and Twitter and all the things. <laughs> awesome. Well, I will definitely be able, I will definitely be there to check you out. And I will also include all those social links in the bottom of the uh, show notes for anybody that wants to check and that story out and just follow the content that she's doing because you're only really that one article, one set of paragraph of words from feeling whatever it is that you need to feel. And I'm a little bit addicted to curiosity, but that kind of has helped me assimilate a lot of words. And the more words you can assimilate, the better you can able to perceive something and put something back into the universe that helps someone else. Thank you very much. Well, I really appreciate your time tonight, Annette. And I look forward to getting this episode out because I am positive we brought a few moms and dads home tonight. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show, and I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.